They miraculously, another bikuni has appeared. <laughs> so Ayasanthachitta is still unwell, and Ayasanthusika, you can take it off, yeah, that's true, when speaking, all right. Um, Ayasanthusika has kindly appeared. I wrote to her late last night, and this morning when I opened the, the um, teacher's village kitchen door, there she was having breakfast. <laughs> So very wonderfully, I will be with us for a little bit, and uh, she's just going to tell you a little bit about who she is and where she's from and what she's doing. Good morning. <clears throat> it's very nice to be here. I was uh, at our meditation center in Sunnyvale when I got the message last night. So I um, don't have my usual gear, <laughs> but that's okay. I'm happy to be able to come and support you uh, during this time. And I was asked to just tell you a little bit about myself. I um, entered the monastic life in 2005. And I live at a place called Karuna Buddhist Vihara, which has been in existence for 11 years, I think. And we have a hermitage in the Santa Cruz Mountains, beautiful, in the redwoods with a creek running past the cabin. And we have a, a two or three, almost three now, kutis. We're building the third one. I don't know if you know what a kuti is, sorry. That's a tiny little um, meditation space for a monastic to live in. And I live there with two other nuns, um, another bhikkhuni named Ayachitananda, and right now an anagarika named Sarana. And they... um, they didn't know I was leaving in the middle of the night, practically. <laughs> come here, so they're kind of catching up on the news now. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm very, I'm very um, grateful to my sisters. I lived with Aya Nandabodi and Aya Santachita in England and Adaloka Vihara when it first started here in the San Francisco Bay Area. So we've been friends for a long time, and that's probably all. Uh, So this is the time for the great renunciation ceremony. I hope you've brought your uh, devices along. And um, so I'd like to invite you to, to simply come up and uh, with whatever you have to give up, and then just put it in one of these two baskets. Might be better if they're a bit further apart, actually, less less uh, bumping into each other. Yeah, just a little bit. Thank you, Bethany. And as you as you put um, as you put the the um, devices into the baskets, I'm going to ring the bell. So you just so you do it as a meditation, as a very conscious practice. So, this is the time to begin. 
Please come forward. go so now we want this um, container this retreat container to be as supportive as possible for settling and uh, stilling and deepening your your body and mind so Emily this afternoon will be helping offering some mindful movement to aid with uh, becoming more embodied and bringing compassion and uh, relaxation to the body. And the ongoing practice that we'll be doing together will be about bringing the body and mind together, immersing the mind in the body. So, uh, you know, many of you <coughs> are relatively new, quite a, quite a number of the people here are relatively new to meditation practice. And, um, you know, it can be that you do a little bit of meditation and, and it's really beneficial and then, you know, there's lots of distraction in the day. So here there's not so much outward distraction. There may be plenty of, uh, the mind can come up with all kinds of things. So there may be plenty of internal distraction. And that's to be understood and, and let go of. So one of the really important things to, to know is that you know, those thoughts that come up in the mind are not who and what we are. They are thoughts that arise there for a while and they pass away. And the feelings, the sensations that arise in our body are not 
who and what we are. They are sensations that arise based on certain conditions. They're there for a while, and then they pass away. So, uh, you know, as long as we're identified with our thoughts, our feelings, our perceptions, uh, our bodies even, you know, when we're identified, we grasp hold of them, we become them, and then we grapple with them. You know, we want to get rid of our thoughts. We're on a meditation retreat. We want to have no thoughts for the entire time. So obviously it doesn't work like that. The mind, the nature of the mind is to think. That is the, the job of the mind. And in our meditation practice, we're learning to be discerning about where we pay attention. So culturally, there's a, there's a strong... Um, emphasis on identifying with thoughts and with the importance of thoughts. So in the Buddhist practice, you know, having wholesome thoughts is good. You know, it's like we want to we want to know what's going on in there, and we want to guide things away from the treacherous and complicated into the more beautiful and peaceful. But another very important part of the practice is to recognize that we can direct our attention. We can direct our attention and our awareness. And where we put our attention is really, really important. So whatever we give our attention to, it is literally we are giving, we are feeding. So if we we give attention to um, fantasies in the mind, then we're strengthening those fantasies in the mind. If we give attention to uh, the experience of the body sitting here, then we're strengthening our awareness of the body. And so if we put our our attention to to what is wholesome, we strengthen what is wholesome. And if we put our attention to what is unwholesome, we strengthen what is unwholesome. And it tends to be, if if we believe in and identify with um, you know the thoughts and the and the feeling tones or sensations as being who and what we are. Then we then the, the mind latches on. So if we have a, a, a an uncomfortable feeling in the body, and then the mind latches onto that. <gasps> this is feeling. Oh my goodness! I've got to get away from it. And uh, then we might start getting afraid and then tense around this. Maybe there's a little pain in the knee or in the hip. And they start getting tense around it because you're afraid of it. And, oh, goodness, I've got to sit here for another 40 minutes with an excruciating pain. So that is feeding the painful feeling. And uh, we don't have to just... The, the awareness doesn't have to just go to the, to the most sensational object. We can guide our awareness. So in our practice, we're going to be using various uh, meditation Practices that help to uh, bring awareness to the whole of the body and to all of the feelings that may arise, pleasant, painful, or neutral, so that we can just know them, see how they are, recognize that they arise, they have a certain push or pull to them, and then they, at some point, they pass away. So if we always, um, 
You know, we can, we can let ourselves be pushed around by what's going on, or we can be the knowing of what is going on. So it's a, it's a centered place. It's a place of clarity. So I want to just mention the five hindrances as a, the, right at the beginning of the retreat so that you know what they are, so you can spot them when they arise. And there's a little poster here that we're gonna, I'm going to put up in the, in the foyer that, that just has a, like images and a description of these five hindrances. So the, the, you know, the path of awakening, it's a path of returning to our natural state. So we're finding again, we're, trying to, we're discovering again the place of peace that is our birthright, really. And the Buddha describes it, he describes his own discovery of this. He describes it as walking through a forest and then finding a, a path in the forest. So like wandering in the forest, no, no clear path, and then finding a path, and then following that path, and that it leads to an ancient city. He, gets, he has this description. I think it's very beautiful imagery. He finds this ancient city in the forest that was once... Uh, you know, flourishing. And this is, this is his discovery of the, of the Dhamma and the path that leads to awakening. So it's not that he um, created it or, you know, he was the, the Buddha was the one who, um, he didn't create it, but he rediscovered a truth. And then he passed down these teachings and these practices so that we can also discover that same truth. And that truth is, is always here. And these hindrances, they are hindrances to awakening. They hinder us, they hold us back, they point us off track, they blur our vision, so that we can't see the potential that is right here in every moment of, of clarity, of... Uh, presence of awakeness. So those five hindrances, the first one is sensual desire, the, the, the reaching out to something lovely out there, that if only we had that, then we would be complete. So we've been doing that since we were little children, that candy, that toy, that, you know, and then later on, maybe that outfit or that house or that, you know. So there's this, there's this uh, belief that if we just have that something or other, then we'll be complete, then we'll be peaceful, then we'll be satisfied. So it has this reaching out quality, kind of this grasping quality. So that um, quality of sensual desire being pulled out is a hindrance to awakening. It's uh, getting in the way. So what, it's, what we're looking for, that promise that it holds, what we're looking for is, is right here. And to, and to reach out, is, gives us, it does give us a temporary gratification, a temporary joy, a temporary um, enjoyment. It is enjoyable, and then, it, and then that passes. So this is something to notice. You, know, you can notice it when you go to the dining hall. The food here is extraordinarily good. And so that will have made, quite possibly sensual desire may arise, like, ooh, 
what's the lunch, you know? And, uh, and then as you're taking your food, it may be really strong. Yeah, a bit of that and more of that. And, and then you're eating it, your meal, and see what's going on then. Sometimes that's still going on, and then we're just like, oh, and the next bite, and the next bite, and the next bite. And then it's, and then the plate's empty. Oh, no more bites. Okay, oh, and I can have some dessert. Oh, yeah. So then a bit more, you know, enjoy for a while, and then, oh, and then the bowl's empty. So notice that. Notice that process. So the Buddha isn't saying, tut, tut, you shouldn't have sensual desire. He's saying, notice Sensual desire, you know, sensual gratification is, you know, is real. We experience gratification and then, it, and then it changes and then it's gone and then we want more and that's an endless cycle. So saying notice that, notice that endless cycle. Notice that moment when the plate is empty and then the feeling after that. And notice the feeling, as Winnie the Pooh said, notice the feeling just before you have that lovely thing in your mouth. And that, so that feeling just before is, is often actually nicer than the actual experience of having that food in there chewing. So just to pay attention to all of that and to get curious about it, to notice it in a, in a fresh way. So the first hindrance, the hindrance of sensual desire um, and the second hindrance is the hindrance of ill will. So that has the opposite movement, wanting to push away. I don't want, I don't like, I resent, I reject. So that has that uh, opposite movement. And it's a similar story, you know, if I can just get rid of those unpleasant things or those things that aren't quite right, then everything will be just perfect. If I could just control things enough, if I could just control it enough that get rid of that awkward, you know, feeling in my knee or that person who's really annoying me or or I just get just exactly the way I want, then everything will be all right. So it's again this promise of a place of rest and of peace and of satisfaction, but it doesn't come through pushing away. So sometimes you know, it's appropriate to make boundaries. I don't want to say that we should just be like doormats or anything like that, but that um, negative mind state is in itself a hindrance to awakening. And um, the next hindrance is uh, sloth and torpor, or dullness and drowsiness. So that can be in the mind and in the body. And there will be times, you know, you're just changing gears, many of you, quite a lot on this retreat. So there will be times when you'll, you know, maybe the mind is used to being more stimulated. You're used to having your phone and having entertainment and stimulation and and, or maybe in, in your workplace, you know, in intellectually stimulated. And here it's going to be more, there's going to be more quiet and more stillness, less, uh, less to occupy the mind. So then sometimes the mind just wants to switch off. It's like, so you might uh, come to sit in your meditation and then you sit down and then you're out. So that's to know that that is sleeping, that's uh, a hindrance, sleepiness and dullness. Or it may be that your body is, is um, used to being more active and then to sit for long periods of time the body is just like heavy and dull. And so this is again this hindrance. And it seems very real. 
you know, when we have that experience, it feel, it seems very real. But, <clears throat> but you may perhaps discover on this retreat, uh, it can be that um, in our meditation, as we focus and settle and deepen, that even the, uh, feeling very tired and very heavy, that that suddenly shifts and the mind is bright and the body is light. So it's a, it's a, it's a perception. I'm not saying it isn't like that, but it's, it's, a, it's a conditioned experience. So if you have a lot of sleepiness and dullness, check your posture. Check that your spine is, is upright, that you're not leaning your head back or leaning forward. <clears throat> um, you can stand up, do standing meditation. I'll, we'll be, I'll give some guidance in standing meditation a bit later on. Um, the Buddha recommended pulling your ears. So you can try that. Massage your ears. Uh, opening your eyes is also helpful. So you can, you can open your eyes and just have a gaze in front of you. So you're letting in a bit of light. And uh, to cultivate the perception of light is one of the antidotes to sleepiness and dullness. So that can be, you can do that through you know, having your eyes open and allowing the light to come into your visual experience. And you can also do it through having, if you're visual, having an image or having a sense of light. So maybe a candle flame or a, or a star or something. You, know, you can have a sense of a, a light in your mind's eye. And the, the perception of light or the experience of light does brighten the mind. So you can experiment a little bit. And another way, which in the beginning can be a little difficult, but, it, but another way is to get curious about the experience of being sleepy. So to get curious about the mind state and to get curious about the body feeling. And what you don't want to do is follow dreams of laying down on your bed. Ah, <laughs> oh, just another 20 minutes and I can lay down on my bed. So that's not going to help. And in all of these things, following the, minds, following the thoughts doesn't help you. So if you have a lot of sensual desire, following the thoughts about sensual desire is just going to get you more and more spinning in it. If you have a sense of uh, ill will, following the thoughts of ill will, justifying those, that experience of ill will strengthens the ill will. With sleepiness and dullness, you know, dreaming about... Longing for being able to rest makes you more sleepy. And then the, the next hindrance is the hindrance of um, restlessness and agitation or restlessness and um, worry or anxiety. So, this is, so this, uh, this is when there's too much energy in the system. There's too much energy and agitation. And... Uh, this can be difficult on a, on a retreat because you know, we have this schedule and there's kind of reasonably long periods of time of sitting. So you can use the breath to help relieve the body of that restlessness. So it can be that you're restless because there's discomfort in the body and then that's probably a bit of ill will going on there. So I would encourage you to just make the intention to sit in a, a still, sit, sit, in stillness, and um, if you really need to move, so if, if, if there's a strong sensation in the body and you really need to move, 
before you just like, oh, it's really uncomfortable, I'm going to move, stay with that for a minute. Stay with that for a couple of minutes and experience it as, a, as, as the, it has a push to it. There's a push to that painful feeling. There's an urgency. So don't immediately follow that. Just be with it for a minute. Breathe through it for a minute. And then you can still move. You don't want to injure yourself. But you don't have to immediately do whatever your body is telling you to do. So with uh, restlessness and agitation, the out-breath is a really helpful support. So being with the breath and then breathing out. One practice I like to do is breathing in and then breathing out through the limbs. So breathing out through the left arm all the way out. Then breathing in and then breathing out. Imagining the breath going through the, the right arm and then breathing in. And then imagining the breath going down through the torso. And breathing in and imagining the breath going through the left leg. And then breathing in and then the out-breath through the right leg. So doing this, this practice of kind of breathing through the body. And it almost sort of undoes the knots in the body that, where energy builds up and where the tension builds up. And again, if, if there's a lot of worry in the mind, if you're feeling anxious and worrying about the future or, um, yeah, it's generally about the future, to uh, try to bring your attention away from the thinking into something very simple like the experience of your body in contact with the seat beneath you. Something more grounding or, or aware of the bones in your body. That can be a very calming, surprisingly calming practice. It's being aware of the skeleton in here, the bones that are solid and heavy. That can help to uh, balance that agitation. And then the last of the five hindrances is doubt. The hindrance of doubt. So it might be doubt about the past. Oh, did I do that? Did I turn off the... Oh, did I do that before I left? You know, that could be those kind of doubts, things that you may or may not have done. It's too late now, you're here, so let them go. Uh, it could be doubt about um, the meditation practice. You know, Am I doing it right? Is it, did, did she mean this? Or did she, should I be doing that? And what, what's it right? And... Uh, or it could be, you know, existential doubts you know, about the well, huge doubts because there's all sorts of ways doubt can catch us. And doubt has this quality of, of um, endlessly following itself, like a dog chasing its tail. It, it gives us the, it tells the story that if you just stay with this long enough, you'll get to clarity. If you just stay with doubt long enough, then you'll get clear. But Actually, you just keep going around and around and around and around. So you need to cut that. You need to just decide on something and do it. So, did she mean I should do this or should do that? I'm not sure. Okay, let's just try this then. Let's just try this for these 45 minutes and see what happens. So just to, you know, don't, don't uh, recognize doubt when it arises and, and just step out of that cycle explore instead of trying to get the perfect perfectly correct way so these five hindrances will arise sometimes individually sometimes in pairs sometimes little groups and um, 
the sweet thing is when the, when the Buddha was um, you know, pointing out these hindrances to us, he also pointed out that um, it's really important to notice the hindrances that are not present, so like the positive. So you know, even if we've got lots of, uh, lots of ill will and lots of uh, doubt going on, probably we don't also at the exact same time have sense or desire. Sense or desire and ill will, it's usually like one or the other. So then it's like, okay, well, at least, okay, I've got all that stuff going on, ouch, you know, but at least I'm not, you know, lost in sensual fantasies right now. <laughs> it's good. And, um, you know, if there's, if there's dullness, it's like, okay, I do need more energy, but at least I'm not anxious right now. That's good, you know. So he, he points this out. It's so sweet, you know, it's like, yeah, in, in, there's that, you know, we, we're actually aiming for the, the mind to be, become still, you know, to be not pushed around by any of the hindrances. But in the meantime, we, we know the, the thing that's in the way and we know what isn't in the way. So this is really important to appreciate um, the, the absence of the unwholesome when it's absent. And in doing that, then we then we get to notice, you know, the good that is here. So many of us are, are, are trained to, you know, notice what's wrong, notice the you know, problem solve, and notice the thing that's missing or what's wrong that shouldn't be. So this is uh, this world is flawed. This is samsara. This is the endless cycle of <laughs> of uh, birth, aging, and death that we are in here, folks. So that you will always find something wrong. If you want to, you will always find it because it's, it's, it's part of the system. It's, it's built in. So you don't want to spend the rest of your life noticing the things that are wrong. You want to also appreciate what is, what is here, what is, what is good, what is uh, supportive, what is a blessing. And also in your own practice, you know, sometimes we can feel like, oh, it's not, as, you know, it's not going as well as I thought it would, and by now I thought, you know, we can think like that. So sometimes, you know, it's, it's a little bit like being on a long journey, and you look in the distance, and those mountains that you were going for, they're still so far away. You feel like you just haven't got any closer. Then you have to look back at where you started from. And then it's like, oh, no, I have come a ways. Doing all right. So it's important to encourage ourselves along this uh, path of awakening. And then on this poster that I'm going to put up, the, there's six images, so there one for each of the five hindrances. And then the, the sixth image is of uh, the serene mind or the peaceful mind. So this is how the mind is when it's not stirred up by those hindrances. And the Buddha gives these um, similes, which I'll just mention briefly. So the the mind of sensual desire is like... So he, he takes this image of a, a bowl of water. So in the Buddha's time, there weren't... Only very wealthy people would have had some kind of a mirror. might have been like polished metal or something like that. And most people would just look in a pond or they might have a bowl of water that they would look into. And then they would see their reflection in that uh, bowl of water. So he's using this image of a bowl of water um, for the mind... And uh, so he's saying, if you have a lot of sense or desire and you look into that bowl of water, it's like the water is, has got dye in it. It's, 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 got, it's, you know, it's red or 
It's, it's colored in a different, it's not, it's not natural. So you're seeing things through this distorted perception of sensual desire. And if the mind is filled with ill will, then it's like there's a fire under that bowl and it's, the water's boiling. So you look in and it's just all turbulent and hot and intense. And so what you experience is like that. And then if you uh, have sleepiness and dullness, it's like a bowl that's been um, left with algae. It's left too long. It's got algae growing on it. It's, no, it's, not, it's not fresh. So you can't really see what's going on. Sort of covered over. And um, the, bowl, the, the mind with restlessness and agitation is like a, a bowl of water in the wind where the wind's whipping it up. So you look in and it's all distorted again. It's... it's uh, turbulent and the um, bowl that the water that symbolizes doubt is like a bowl that's been put away in a dark place and left and it's sort of uh, turgid and a bit you can't see it very well and it's so um, the doubt is also you know it's like we, we can't see clearly and then the mind that is free of those hindrances is just like a, a beautiful bowl of clear water. And you look in, and it's, and it's clear. So this is what we're um, wanting to know during this retreat. You know, when, when the mind is settled and clear, in its natural state... And when it's got all of these various things going on. So to, uh, to understand and discern the difference between those and also to recognize that none of it is who and what we are. It's not like uh, we're going to grasp that clear bowl of water. I got it. I got the clear mind. It's not like that. Then we've got into grasping again. You know, It's not like, oh, I'm just a hopeless case. I just can't get out of this doubt, you know. Then we're identifying with doubt. It's, it's just a passing thought, actually. It's just a mind state. So to understand that these things have, um, you know, they arise based on causes and conditions, history and tendencies and how we've attended to our mind. And, uh, and they can change based on what we're doing now and how we're attending to this moment. Okay, so let's sit for a little while. Find your posture for meditation. And bring your awareness into the body. Be aware of the pressure of your body on the seat. 
you're on a chair, you can be aware of your feet on the ground. Bringing your awareness in to experience the body breathing, breathing in and breathing out. So as we pay attention to the breath, what often happens is that we also get to see what the mind is doing. So the breath is our anchor for meditation. And it may be that the mind goes, no, I don't want to be with the breath. Falls away to this or that. So paying attention to the breath, staying steady with the experience of in-breathing and out-breathing. Moving down from the thinking mind, from the head into into your body, into your chest, your belly. Just letting your awareness settle with the breath. Remembering that beautiful bowl of clear water. Not agitated, not dull, not grasping or pushing away, free from confusion. Inviting your awareness to settle with the breath, allow the mind to settle into its natural state. And then just knowing whatever might pull you away from that. And inviting again this settling to the natural state. Bringing your awareness down from thoughts into the direct experience of the body breathing.
So, um, as I mentioned last night, the Buddha encouraged um, to be able to bring awareness to the four postures. He actually covered many more, but one of the ways of uh, practicing is with the four postures, sitting, standing, walking, and laying down. So uh, on this retreat, we're going to save the laying down practice till night time. You can have a, a little rest after the meal if you need to, um, just to do it mindfully. Um, but we're not going to be doing any formal laying down practice in the hall. But we will be doing um, sitting, standing and walking mind, with mindfulness as a practice. So I'm aware that not everybody is able to stand, do standing uh, as a meditation. And if any of these, you know, like if you're not able to stand, then sit down. And if you're not able to sit down, then lay down. This is all good. They're all postures that can be used for meditation. And if you're not uh, able to walk, <coughs> I have a, a very lovely uh, alternative practice which I'll show you in a minute that you can use um, while sitting or lying down. So just to briefly um, oops, show you the walking meditation. So there are different styles that are used in different traditions. And um, I actually haven't asked Ayasantuska how she does it, but... I'm going to teach you this way, uh, which is the way I learned through the forest tradition, which is simply, it is really simply walking with mindfulness. And um, we, ch we have a, a, a straight line between two points, and please um, don't cross somebody else's walking path. That starts to get complicated. So out here, you know, um, choose the shorter, so the shorter lines. Not don't just do one long line. And other people are trying to be short. Have your have your uh, pathway straight line between two points. It can also be between trees. You'll find plenty of places around here where you can do that. And you begin when you begin at the, at the beginning of your walking meditation path. You just stand for a moment and just feel your connection with the ground. Feel the body, sense of alignment. And then you're walking with mindfulness, a little bit slower than you would normally walk, being aware of each step. So in the beginning, it's helpful to be aware of the contact of your feet on the ground, because that's a nice long way from your head all the way down there. So you're squeezing your attention down into your feet. You're right down in, in your feet in contact with the ground. And when you get to the end of the path, you stop and then turn and then... You walk back, just being with each step. So uh, as you can see, and then when you get to the other end, you stop and you turn and you walk back. So as you can see, we're not getting anywhere. We're not trying to get to the end of the path or anything like that. You're just wanting to be right here in this moment of standing and walking. And uh, it, it's not uncommon for people to do this during walking meditation. So when you do that, you, you think that you're being very, very mindful, but there's a lot of thinking going on. <laughs> so the body knows how to walk. So you just, the important thing is to have a sense of alignment, just as in the, in the sitting meditation, the, the spine is aligned. So it's the same with walking, as much as you're able. And if you find yourself doing that, notice, oh, look, I'm thinking about walking. And then 
come back and, and straighten up. And you have your your when your um you look like maybe a couple of yards in front of you, something like that, just a little ways. So you can still see what's going on, but you're not gazing around, and you're not uh, also not walking with your eyes closed. So it's this this nice balance where you can see where you're going. Your body's aligned as best as it's as naturally as it can be, and you're simply aware of the body walking. And in the beginning, it's helpful to be with the soles of the feet because it's more focused. And then you may find, as you keep practicing uh, with the walking meditation, that your your awareness kind of settles, and then you don't have to stay focused on just the feet. You can bring in the whole of the body walking. But if you start with the whole of the body walking, you might find yourself getting distracted and. So to start with just the soles of the feet. Um, have I missed anything about that? It's useful. So there will be a bell. I'm not sure who the bell ringer is at the end of the walking meditation, but you're in here somewhere, I hope. Is there somebody who's ringing the bell at the end of the walking? Mm. Okay. That was supposed to be so could I ask you today, and I think we'll need to find somebody. <clears throat> so this, this practice will be, um, so there'll be a bell at 10.35, and then you'd gather back in here at, uh, for uh, stillness meditation at 10.45. So for those who are not able to uh, do an extended period of walking meditation, there's this alternative which I'd like to show you, and I'd like to show everyone because it's um, it's also a nice practice to do anyway. So I, I learned it just as a practice; it wasn't an alternative to walking, but it is a nice alternative. So I'm gonna you can, you can do it sitting or or laying down, but I'm going to show you standing just so you can see it. And uh, this was taught to me by uh, my first teacher, Mechi Patumwan, a, a Thai ten precept nun who used to come to England every year. So you start. You have your arm at 45 degrees to your body, and you start with your fingers together. Can everybody see me? And uh, and then you simply move. As you move, you open. You put your fingers apart, and then you stop. Fingers together. Apart. Stop. You do that four times until you're, and then go back down. And your awareness is on the hand. Your attention is on your hand. So if you do that, you can have a little go if you like. If you do that, you can, you can notice that there's the sensation changes. So when the hand is stopped and the fingers are together, it feels one way. You're aware of, I'm aware of the contact of my fingers with each other and a certain warmth to the hand and then moving it's different. So there's a the sense of moving. There's a little bit more. Cool, there's a bit more coolness on the palm of the hand, and then stopping. It feels that contact again. So you don't want to, don't overthink it. But I'm just explaining to you what where you need to put your attention. So attention on the hand, and just noticing that con that contact, no contact, contact, no contact, contact, no contact. And there's also still movement, still movement. So this is a very um, settling practice, which you can also do if you're sleepy. 
Or you can simply do as a practice. Uh, she would, that was her main practice, actually, that she would use for developing concentration. But it's a lovely alternative to the walking meditation. So just wanted to offer that. And um, so the first group practice discussion will be this morning with me down here, down underneath the hall here, for those who are on the list. And then this afternoon there will be another. So now that we have Aya Santusika here, uh, Aya will be um, also having practice discussion this afternoon. So, there, so watch out for a new list to come up. And uh, I will also be offering a guided meditation this afternoon and the evening Dhamma reflection. So we'll both be sharing the teaching. Okay. Uh, are there any questions about the walking? Yes? No? Okay. All right. So, uh, so I, won't be, I probably won't see you back here at 10.45, but you come back here at 10.45. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.